Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me to talk about the yearly Billy Wagner Hall of Fame snub, new Astros Hall of Famer Ken Caminetti, and new Astros bullpen ace Josh Hader is Greg Lucas, who spent 30 years of his five decades in TV covering the Astros and is an Astros historian and author, always a favorite HST guest. Good to see you, Greg. Thank you. I think we got to give Brownie the 30 years. I was a little less with the Astros, 30 overall, including my work with the Rangers involving Major League Baseball. But yeah, it's always great to be with you. Okay, well, that's uh, that's that's enough. That's enough. You, you you've got enough uh, tenure to talk about <laughs> Billy Wagner and, and what happened because he comes up five votes short this time. And Greg, you covered Wagner during his nine-year Astros career. What's your reaction to the Hall of Fame announcement? What do you think? Well, they, everyone thought this was going to be a cinch because the players who get this close the year before tend to make it, and he fell five votes short. And that's that's a crime because of the people that were on that ballot. Uh, Billy should should be a Hall of Famer now. And we only say wait till next year, his last year uh, on the ballot. That uh, I think maybe he'll get us some sympathy voters next year, if nothing else. So I think he'll make it next year, but he should have been on this year. I think they showed on all the telecasts and we saw a lot of things online that emphasized just how good he was, but not only with the Astros, but with the other teams that he saw time with. And uh, I think it's a shame because he was he was ahead of his time, really, when you stop to think about it, in, in throwing pitches 100 miles an hour consistently. Uh, nowadays, a lot of people do. But when he was throwing, uh, I know there was one year where he was credited with 159 pitches of 100 or more miles an hour. And I think it was, uh, I may be wrong in the exact figures, but I think the entire league had 56, the rest of the league. And in the American League, it was even worse. There were only 26 pitches thrown of over 100 miles an hour. This was in 2003, I believe. Now, that's not only interesting for Billy, but it's interesting for what's happened in baseball over the last 20 years. Because now, everybody throws 100 miles an hour, it seems. Yeah, and I'm going to do my usual making the case here. I feel like I have to do it every year, but he's had the six most career saves all time. Of those six guys that he's in the category with, he's got the best opponent batting average, 187. His ERA is 2.31, which is second among those guys. And number two in baseball history of pitchers with at least 900 innings. Mariano Rivera is the only one lower than that. And Wagner critics, well, they're going to bring up his 10-plus ERA in the postseason. He faced a grand total of 30 hitters yeah. in 16 major league seasons with his team leading in the postseason. It's a minuscule sample size. It was 11.2 innings of a 16-year, over 900-inning career. And, Greg, can we just can we take Ted Williams out of Cooperstown? Can we take Joe Morgan out of Cooperstown because they didn't do it in the postseason? And I hope in their, I'm hoping that they're going to bring this same energy to Clayton Kershaw voting in a few years. Well, they, they made a point on the telecast uh, earlier that that, in the minds of several of the people on the panel, postseason work should be bonus. That should be what helps you get over the top if you're a marginal player, if you are a great postseason guy. But as far as Hall of Fame itself, that really is the whole picture, not just 11 innings in the postseason that weren't very good. I mean, I and I tend to agree with them 100%. That can be a bonus 
In other words, if anybody thinks uh, Altuve is borderline, which, of course, ridiculous, because he will be a high first uh, ballot or second uh, ballot uh, Hall of Famer. But if they did, then you look at what he's done in the postseason, and that would be bonus. That shouldn't be, uh, you know, three batting titles and MVP and 300 career batting average. That should be what puts uh, Altuve eventually in the Hall of Fame. All that heroics in the World Series and postseason should be the bonus. Billy didn't have the bonus. Bagwell didn't have the bonus. Biggio didn't have the bonus. But they didn't need it because their careers were good enough. And frankly, so was Billy's. He's one of the great personalities, too. Do you have any favorite Wagner stories from when you covered him? Probably uh how quickly he came back from the game in which he in Arizona, where he took the line drive off the side of his head. And when it happened, uh, there was great concern. I remember his legs were flopping around. So he, you know, he, he had his brain together, but uh, there was real concern. But as it turned out, it, uh, it actually gave him a concussion, but it, it was a glancing blow. He turned his head just enough. Actually, it, it, it drew uh, blood. It drew a, a cut uh, just around his ear. He came back. He had to have uh, two or three weeks off, I think, because he had to go through the concussion protocol and, and be sure because he was having uh, problems with it. He was having vision problems and dizziness and all sorts of stuff. What he said after it, I think, is what I remember the most. He said, you know, yeah, it was a scary thing, but that's one thing you can't be afraid of because there's nothing you can do about it. If a hitter hits a ball through the middle that hard and you can't get out of the way, you're going to get hit. And if you are uh, psyched out by it, You'll never be able to pitch right again. And so uh, I just uh, was able to put it in the back of my mind saying the odds on this were one in two million or three million, and it wasn't going to happen again. Never did, and it didn't affect him long term. His life is a movie. He grows up in poverty in rural Virginia, left a broken home to live with his aunt, uncle, and cousins as a teenager. He's a natural right-handed hitter who are a natural righty just just that, but broke his right arm twice as a kid, learned how to throw with his left. He was behind in school, but administrators had to let him move up to high school with the other kids his age because he threw a fastball so hard they had worried that he'd hurt other kids, the younger ones. And then he goes to Division three Ferrum College to play football, but the football coach tells him, no, you need to stick with baseball. You can't write this, Greg. No, you can't. And, of course, one of the reasons, he really did want to play football, but he was extremely small through high school. He was only about 5'5", weighed 130 or so pounds. After his freshman year at Ferrum College, he gained, uh, I think it was 30 pounds and 3 inches. And his fastball also went from the uh, mid-80s to uh, over 90 miles an hour after that first year. So it was proven after that first year that he made the right choice. Later on, he became a, a, you know, he's a college uh, Hall of Famer for his career at Ferrum. And he was uh, throwing the ball at 95 by the time he was a sophomore. And everyone in the nation wanted him when he was uh, when he was ready to be drafted. And the Astros were fortunate enough to get him. You talked about him getting hit in the head. I, I think of Billy Wagner when I see him. I think of a guy that was just fearless on the mound because you said he's 5'5", but he was 5'10". For a pitcher, he's short. He's throwing mm-hmm. at 100 miles an hour. It's coming back at him at that same speed a lot of times. And you never saw it with him. You never felt like that guy was scared of anything. No, and I think uh, I think the best quote that I heard was from Randy Johnson. You know, Randy's a fireballer, my goodness. And uh, he and Billy were teammates for part of one season, as you recall, in uh, 1998. And Randy has been quoted as saying, Billy threw way harder than me. 
And at that point, I think he probably did because, as I said, he was uh, he was throwing 100 miles an hour on routine, uh, way more than the other pitchers in baseball were at that time. You can tell me this better than anybody, but it felt like just like Vigio and Bagwell, he was a leader in the cl- in the clubhouse, mm-hmm. and he was a guy that everybody seemed to like. I don't, I don't think Billy had enemies in the clubhouse either. The only enemy he may have had was toward the end of his stint with the Astros when he had made some uh, comments about Drayton McLean not spending money to <laughs> <laughs> to build up the team uh, better, and uh, and that made him uh, a trade bait. But he wasn't the only one. His contract was nearing the end, and as you remember, that had a lot of players, uh, Pence uh, and Brookman and Billy. Uh, they all uh, they all left uh, as a result of Drayton's uh, not wanting honestly to. Uh, put too many long-term contracts on a team that he was planning on selling. Easier to sell if the buyer doesn't have to be uh, tied into all of those. And that's exactly what happened. And Billy was one of the victims. We're going to spin it back in a couple of minutes, speaking of that topic, to owners spending money with the Astros because (laughs) uh, that just happened. But I want to also talk a little bit about Ken Caminetti because Caminetti and Spanish broadcaster Rene Cardenas were both inducted into the Astros Hall of Fame this weekend. Caminetti actually inducted to the Padres Hall of Fame fame way back in 2016. He started in Houston, played here from 87 to 94. Were you covering the Astros most of that time? I was covering Kenny, yeah. uh, uh, Well, of course, he was here twice, and uh, both times uh, I was there for part of it. He was was an interesting guy because, as you know, as a fan, he looked kind of scary. He looked like, you know, he... You know, didn't smile much, and he was, golly, can I go up and interview him? And and actually, he was he was fine to be interviewed. He just uh, he probably kept some people from trying to interview him because of the way he looked. But he was uh, he was a nice nice guy. He just was troubled. He was troubled from his youth. I think he said uh, in the book that was written about him, the author had a quote that he said, "I was drinking beer by the time I was twelve. Uh, I was, uh, you know, drinking other alcohol way before that. I had a problem with alcohol for years. And of course, then later he had a problem with regular drugs, uh, cocaine. And at the end, uh, even uh, uh, stronger drugs than that. And of course, uh, he did get involved with the uh, PEDs in Seattle. And that's really why probably he's in their Hall of Fame. He was so good in that Seattle, in San Diego, because in San Diego, he was an MVP and he had the best years of his career. And he was using uh, PEDs when that happened. They came back to the Astros and uh, they actually ultimately let him go, uh, released him because uh, he had he had backslid in his uh, in his drinking. You know, they kept that private, but that's revealed in the book that was written about him. And it, it was a sad ending for Ken because I think when he was here, because he was here, he was robbed of winning gold gloves because the Astros were not one of the top teams. And as you know, the Gold Glove Award winner almost always goes to the best offensive good defensive third baseman or shortstop or second baseman and those that play on teams that win a lot. And the Astros during his years were uh, not a big winning team. They had some good years, but they were not a big winning team. And then he goes to San Diego and he's all of a sudden he's going to win a Gold Glove because he happens to get the MVP. And he was just as good a fielder here, maybe even better. You mentioned the PEDs, and, and I want to come back in a little bit with some personal stories. But on the PEDs, when I think of that steroid era and what happened, 
it felt like two guys came out when we're pretty vocal about what was going on with the steroids and saying, this is a concern. This is going on in Major League Baseball. One of them was Jose Canseco, and everybody just sloughed off Jose Canseco because he's Jose Canseco, but the other was Caminetti, and I felt like maybe Ken's outspokenness really helped turn the tide on the PED scandal, I guess, or start it, I guess you would say, but you know, just got rid of it in a way because he was so outspoken about that. I think you're you're probably right, and may have also kept others from from trying it. I, I think uh, the numbers that have been thrown out just out of the blue of how many, what percentage of ball players were using them are way high. But there were significant number of players that uh, did give him a shot. Obviously, he he doesn't win the MVP in, in San Diego if he's not using them. And uh, some other players that jumped out of nowhere uh, and started hitting a lot of home runs uh, obviously were helped a little bit. But you're right. Uh, Ken, Ken, I think, probably was more willing to admit to some of that stuff because he was also going during this period, he was actually going to rehab for his alcoholism. And so he was really an addicted personality. And PEDs were a drug and they were one that he was using uh, during the period he was addicted to other things. I guess he could relate to that while the other players that maybe were using them were not alcoholic alcoholics or addicted to, you know, using cocaine or other drugs. And he was so much. Why not tell the truth? And he did. It says a lot about him, Greg, as a personality and how well he was thought of here in Houston, that when he came out and said those things, I never got the sense that people in Houston were angry at him or upset even though you know he had all that success with San Diego, which is probably around the time he started using the PEDs, I would guess. But even with everything that he said, the fans here loved him. He was beloved forever. And you know, when he died, it was you know, a tragedy for Astros fans. They were sad about it. And I never felt anything different than that. No, I don't think so either. And, and it is fact. It is a fact that was pointed out in the book by Dan Good that uh, Ken never used PEDs until he got to San Diego. And he did it there because, uh, first of all, they were easily available. And uh, someone who supplied him drugs also knew how to get him steroids from Mexico. And that's what got him started. And uh, that's... Uh, that's how it got going, and, and, and as we know how it ended. It ended badly, but it, it didn't end badly, frankly, because of the PEDs. It, it ended badly uh, because of his alcoholism and, and regular drug addictions. I want to talk about how it started for him, though, here in Houston, because when I was in high school, that's when Cammy was called up, and I remember seeing his cover on an Astros program. It was Ken Caminetti on the cover of the program, that I bought after going to the game. That's when I read about him and got super excited. This is pre-internet. So that was the most info that you would get on a project was an Astros program. And I still remember hearing he got called up on the radio and listening to his very first game with Milo on the call. And he was like a superhero right out of the gate. His first big league game, he was making gold glove defensive plays. He had a homer, triple, scored the game-winning run. Greg, I can tell you, 16-year-old me had <laughs> fallen in love with this guy and thought he could be destined to Cooperstown. As you know, his his career in Houston uh, wasn't really superstar-like. 
Glove-wise, it might have been, but, you know, he was a 250 hitter with uh, in-between power. Now, of course, he's playing half his games in the Astrodome, which wasn't – you weren't going to get any cheap home runs. But he wasn't a, uh, you know, perennial all-star third baseman for the National League, but he was a solid player. And then, of course, he blossomed when he was in uh, San Diego and, and uh, very good friends with uh, Biggio and Bagwell. They were, they were a trio, but uh, Biggio and Bagwell had to try to keep him under control and again, uh, that was not ultimately possible because uh, he had been addicted to uh, alcohol uh, from his youth. I mean, it affected him in college, junior college, uh, was one year in four-year school. He uh, he had told the author who, who did a lot of this research prior to his death that uh, he had that problem for perhaps all of his life and, uh, and uh, never could really beat it. My last Caminetti story, I go back a few years for this one. It's the one and only Padres game that I've ever been to. It was 1996. That terrible song, the Macarena, was huge. Mm-hmm. If anybody remembers that, Cami was also huge in San Diego. Turns out to be too huge, if you know what I mean. But somebody yeah. had changed the Macarena to the Caminetti, same number of syllables, so it worked really well. And I forget the lyrics. But the whole Padres crowd, Greg, was doing the Macarena dance moves while singing the Caminetti. And if you need proof, here's a few seconds of video that I shot that night 28 years ago. How about that, Greg? That is something. That is really something. But he honestly, he was in San Diego. He was the player that you saw the first time in Houston when you first saw him. That's what he was. Every, you know, not every game, but I mean, he was 300 batting average, 100 plus RBIs, ton of home runs and the great glove. So he was worth a song. There's no question about that. Was he a pretty fun interview? Oh, he was guarded. He wasn't really fun. He wasn't a humorous type guy. But he was yeah. he was fine. He'd uh, he'd uh, you know he'd answer your questions, but you could tell that that wasn't his one of his most fun things to do. Yeah, that should be a real moment uh, when they do the introductions at the Astros Hall of Fame uh, in August. That that should be fun with his with his family there. I saw a picture, Greg. I don't know if you saw it with Biggio, Cammy's three girls, and his wife, a widow, I assume. Right, it was a widow by then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and of course he and Biggio uh, were uh, co-owners of the Cambo Ranch, which I think is where he is buried. That's in Texas. I don't know whether or not Biggio still owns that ranch, but they that was a hunting, basically a hunting ranch, and uh, they were co-owners of it. As I recall from the book from Dan Good, that is actually where, and I think I recall that happening in the first place. That that's where Biggio's body is uh, is buried on the Cambo Ranch in Texas. Let's move to the major Astros news this week, the Josh Hader signing. What's your reaction, Greg, and are there any angles to this you think people might be missing? Other than the fact that it was an outstanding signing uh, and the fact that he made a comment uh, that, you know, it's five-year contract, but I may be here longer than that. In other words, he's really looking forward to playing for the Astros and being back in Houston. It's expensive. But it's pretty much the the rate you're going to have to pay for players these days. 
I don't think fans here should write and writers and, and speculators and, and commentators should automatically write into the fact that now they've spent all that money on him, they won't spend it on other players because uh, Jim Crane wants to win and he knows it's expensive, but you can still be cautiously uh, careful with your money and go over the go over the limit a little bit and and keep yourself winning. And that's what the fans have to be concerned with. The Astros, my concern is that they do not have a deep enough farm system where we know of can't miss everyday players in triple A or double A or even A right now. We we have some, you know, we had one top prospect, the outfielder that got traded last year, but he wouldn't have been, none of those guys are at the point they were can't miss yet. The Astros were very fortunate when Carlos Correa left, they had Pena. They've basically been the same player the last two years. Carlos has come down to earth and uh, Pena is not quite up to the level that Carlos was, but he's pretty good. They did not have the same luck in center field when when Springer left. They're still kind of working on that. And we got some fan favorites uh, to play out there. And they'll probably end up playing out there unless the Astros make another deal during the offseason. And they're talking about it. They keep talking about wanting another left-handed hitting outfielder. And uh, where do you play him? Uh, so center field is the only position that he might play if he's really a, a good left-handed hitting, great defensive center fielder. They they have guys that can play center field. Dubon can play out there, but Dubon's greatest value is really as a utility man because he can play everywhere. McCormick can obviously play out there, and he hit decently, but they pointed out, somebody pointed out his range factor was really good. Well, the problem with range factor is it's a little bit of a misleading statistic because if you catch the ball and you went a long way to get it, your range is good. The problem is, in his case, to catch the ball, he quite often has to dive for it. And really, guys with really good range don't, and that's the, that's really the difference. But he's he's okay. He's okay. If they don't find anybody else, I would have no problem with going into the season with him being the uh, the main center field. But we'll have to wait and see how that all turns out. I did a few minutes right after the trade, and everybody was assuming that, or right after the hater signing, I should say, everybody was assuming that the Astros were just going to make him their closer de facto, and. I made the point and, you know, I, I said, well, that's what they're saying right now. But the great thing about having him and Presley, Greg, is not only do you have two guys that are this great, but you can flip them eighth and ninth, depending on the matchups that you have in the eighth and ninth inning, if they're lefties or they're righties. And I, I still believe that that's something that uh, they would definitely consider with Hater, And I think that's a big bonus. And there's not many really instances in baseball where you see guys that are this good from the righty and the lefty side, and maybe you can do something like that. With. Well, true. True. I mean, uh, the other thing, it always gives them somebody who's really a, a, a qualified, experienced closer to close the game, every game, because sometimes you need to use the closer three games in a row, and you aren't going to use the same guy three games in a row. What would be nice is if the Astros would develop a fourth pitcher capable of being one of the last three guys that you wouldn't have to use it that much, but he would be capable of it if you've been overworked in your bullpen. And then you, you might always be able to have a closer available. I thought it was instructive that they let it be known that before they made the deal, they contacted Presley to let him know what was up. And he approved it. He said, hey, anything we can do to make the team better, that's that's great. They didn't say they took they were taking his job away, but they were obviously, if you're getting a guy that's been this strong as a closer that throws this hard, He's going to get to close. 
but how much does he close? How much does, uh, you know, does Presley become uh, not always the closer? But you got to remember, he doesn't throw with the same speed or velocity, but he gets guys out. And so, and he's picked up a lot of saves uh, over the years. So I think it's just a positive. It's a positive. And I, and I, I personally, it's not my money, but I don't worry about the money either. You know, that's, that's the going rate these days. Be unfortunate if he got a sore arm next year or something and and had to miss some time. But, you know, the Astros have overcome situations like that in the past. A couple other points that I made a few days ago, I'll get your reaction to them. Number one, the Astros, if you sign somebody and you bring them over to the Astros, the one thing you want to check out is how they do in the postseason. Haters' postseason ERA is .7 something. I mean, it's like it's an incredibly minuscule so he passes that test. The second thing is when they signed him and they went over, everybody said, well, this is a new era for Jim Crane. But my point with Jim Crane is he's always been in if it's a blue chip pitching prospect. He will make the exception for that. We've seen it with Verlander twice now. Mm-hmm. We've seen it with Zach Granke and now with Hayter. Well, Jim was a pitcher. He knows how important pitching is. And the other thing is the Astros' regular lineup offensively should be fine. You're going to get more hitting at catcher. You're going to get, uh, you know, you're you know, assuming everyone's healthy. You know, we're going to get Altuve not get the hand broken in the preseason. No problems with that offense. I mean, every offense will have some slow games, but uh, they have one less dead spot in the batting order. Uh, the question I have and the concern I have is if he become he catches every day, uh, what does that do to wear him down? So that's why it was good they acquired a solid backup catcher that can actually be used because he's actually a little bit of a hitter too. So they've got uh, you know they don't have to use their some guy from the, the you know quads triple A Corpus or triple A. You don't have to do that as your backup catcher. I, I think they they're really solid in those positions. First base, I don't have a real problem with him. Uh, he just got off to a terribly slow start, especially impressed by the way he came through in the postseason. And, you know, when you total all of his numbers, pre-regular season and postseason, 22 homers and 100 runs batted in. No, he got off to a terrible start, and he was making a lot of outs early, but I'm not as concerned about that. He actually had a better year than Yuli Gurriel did. So there you go. If you kept Yuli Gurriel, uh, he didn't have as good a year as as, uh, as he did. So I'm 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 really encouraged with this team. I think Fromber's weaknesses at the end of the year was mostly because he'd pitched a lot. He'd pitched a lot in a long season, starting with games that counted in the uh, World Baseball Classic. Yeah, and that's just, my that's been my was, point for months now, Greg. Is that the World Baseball Classic really? killed the Astros season in a lot of ways because I felt like all those pitchers that pitched in the World Baseball Classic either had poor years, off years, or they got hurt, or both. Or and, they wore down at the end of the year. That's that's the right. other thing. And and that so I think that's not a I mean I like the World Baseball Classic concept. I just don't like when they play it. I still wish they would figure out a way to play it after the World Series and make the emphasis be at in the other countries so that you're not worrying about battling King football as much. I mean, the games be on TV, but you wouldn't necessarily be having to draw the clouds. But I, I like the concept. I just squeezing it in uh, before spring training is I'm not a fa- in favor of that. But they didn't ask. <laughs> Have you figured out how to take a hex off of uh, 
the ballpark that we play. Have you ever seen anything what, no. like what happened this year? Not, not in, well, not twice, twice. And I, I, you know, I, that's the thing that gets me is, you know, it happened to them in the world series against Washington and then again against the Rangers. And uh, no, I can't, I, I can't understand it. I mean, you wouldn't think the players would get so psyched out that, you know, because of all the crowd and everyone rooting for him, that it would affect them negatively, but it, Golly, it's happened to them in two very important series. I mean, uh, they come home with the Rangers series after they they won that game with Altuve's heroics. They have to to win one game, and they couldn't get it done. And uh, it wasn't even uh, that close because they were getting uh, given up some big runs early, couldn't come back far enough. And the Rangers uh, had enough guys. They they all weren't hitting, but they had enough guys. They were making a lot of big hits. It was just their their series. I mean, the Rangers – in the 20 games the two teams played, counting the postseason, the Rangers only won eight, but they won four of them in the World Series. And that's what it counted. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I just I'm if they start like this next year at at home and having these issues, if you're an Astros fan, you just got to start booing them because I guess they like the road <laughs> boos. Maybe that's it. Well, certainly doesn't hurt uh, Altuve when he's on the road. He, he oh yeah, fine he, and he does it. get booed. He does get booed. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. No, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen it to that extent. All I know is that I don't think the Astros need to worry about home field advantage other than if you get it, that means you've had a really good year and you've got a really strong team. But it doesn't seem to help them enough when they get <laughs> into the postseason. Yeah, bro, I can't wait. A couple of months away from baseball season. We're almost, uh, well, actually, really only a month and a half if you're mm-hmm. talking about sp- uh, spring training. So that's that's just uh, around the bend. And, you know, the Astros, there's still time for them to make moves. Greg, you've seen it a million times. It's like, you, you know, you think, oh, all the big moves happen early. Sometimes the biggest moves happen in March even. Well, sure. And and maybe a pitcher. Uh, you know, here's the thing. McCullers is going to come back at some point. Uh, Christian Javier will be back at some point. These guys that have been hurt, they'll be back. Uh, but they won't be back right at the beginning. And so at the very beginning, they may really need to be looking for p- uh, at least one more starting pitcher. And uh, and I don't know how that's uh, going to come down. But I, I think that uh, when they are all back, uh, this will be a strong staff. And uh, with the improved offense, I'm not worried about what the, the uh, you know, the Rangers did or had or the uh, – uh, Twins or the Mariners, I should say, or or certainly anybody else. The Angels on paper look like they've got to be worse, but um, who knows? I think one more starting pitcher that can give them is durable and can give them innings and is good at quality type starts doesn't have to be Superman. Uh, but uh, I think that would be nice. That would be great. But we'll have to wait and see how that turns out. Great. I also I also want to see a step up from a couple of the young guys, like France did really well, wasn't quite as well down the stretch. Uh, and, of course, they had to move some people to the bullpen. I want to see those guys uh, make a step. And uh, both of them, most of them have stuff. And if they can just make a step, and most of it is simple command, uh, if they can get to that point, they can become great pitchers, some of them. Yeah, Hunter Brown, I think his arm, he could have hit a wall maybe halfway through the season because he hadn't had those type of innings. And J.P. France, even though he was a rookie too, a little older guy, more innings in his arm, so maybe that helped him. 
as the season went along. And here's sure. the thing. We need the innings. The Astros fans need the innings at the beginning of the season because they're going to have – McCullers is going to come back, and he's going to be – he'll be strong. Uh, and uh, and uh, they need some other guys that uh, can give them some innings earlier to, to get them to some of the other players that have, are going to start the season a little later. Yeah, Garcia is another guy that's going to be back. Yeah, Garcia is the one I, was, I, I left out. I said Christian Javier. He was okay, but Garcia is the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks a lot, Greg. Great stuff. I, I wish we had talked about a Billy Wagner Hall of Fame induction, but that's all right. It's good, good stuff. Thanks so much. Yeah, we'll do it next year. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.